0: You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 695. The road to hell is paved with adverbs. Stephen King. audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Now, today on the show, we have Lucy V. Hay. She is a author, a script consultant, and a screenwriter. She's written books on the screenwriting craft, like writing and selling drama screenplays, writing and selling thriller screenplays, and writing diverse characters for fiction, TV, or film. She's also one of the UK's best-known script consultants, and she does amazing work through her blog and website, bangtowrite.com. And I want to invite her on the show to talk talk shop and see what her perspective was on the craft and how she helps uh, her clients get those stories toyed. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lucy V. Hay. I'd like to welcome to the show, Lucy Hay. Thank you so much for jumping on. Well,
1: thanks for having me. Delighted yeah. to be here.
0: I know it's taken us a minute to get to this point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. We, yeah, I think, I think it was six months, I think, I, before so, we could uh,
0: align our schedules. I know our schedules are a bit hectic, but I'm so <laughs> glad we finally be able to make it work. I've been wanting to get you on the show to pick your brain a little bit about, uh, about the business. But before we jump in, how did you even get started in the, the film business? Oh writing. god, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a it's a really kind of long and involved story. So just a, sh- like. a
0: short version then.
1: <laughs> okay, the short version is I did I did a degree in screenwriting for film and television. Uh, back in the day, uh, I was um, here in the UK doing uh, that course in two thousand. I graduated two thousand and three. I was a single mother back in those days, and I didn't have any childcare, and I really, really wanted to be involved in screenwriting in some way. I wasn't really sure how. I just knew that I wanted to be part of the industry, and, and I really loved the development of stories and and just really kind of being involved in wh- whichever way I, I could, basically. And during the time that I was on the degree, um, I had to do some work experience um, to pass the course, um, and during that time, I managed to get a, um, uh, some work experience reading screenplays for a literary agent, um, and various other places as well. Um, schemes and uh, a lottery funding initiative, and and various things like that. So, as it, when I came out of university, I thought, well, you know, maybe there is room for someone who can actually read people's screenplays and actually consult on screenplays mm-hmm. um, yeah. to actually help people get better and have better opportunities and and better ways of kind of breaking in because when I was reading in the spec pile for agents and for producers and for various schemes and competitions, one thing I noticed was that there were a lot of first drafts um, or or really obvious mistakes and people weren't really doing peer review so much then. It was all before social media. It was all before blogs and things like that. So I thought, well, you know, maybe there's a a room for somebody like me who could be some sort of advisor and then I can be involved in in screenwriting and with screenwriters and the um it was just it took off really quickly and I thought I would be dealing predominantly with uh, new writers, writers who were wanting to break in, and whilst that was true, um, I very quickly started getting uh, clients who were much higher up the ladder, um, and I was reading for people who um, were working in television, who was working in movies, and, and before I knew it, I was even even had some clients who were, you know, pretty famous. So I was like, <laughs> wow. Um, so I figured I must be doing something all right, and I think. One of the, the key elements for that, for, for kind of making the splash that I did, was probably the blog. Um, I was one of the first people to kind of get into screenwriting Um it, as a blogger, um, although there were lots of screenwriting blogs from screenwriters' point of view, there weren't so many about the actual craft of screenwriting in those days, especially in the UK. Mm-hmm. There was things like John August's blog, and um, mm-hmm. around the same time, go into the story started, um, and uh, various other websites like Wordplay, ones like that. But they were all very, very American, and I saw that there was this this kind of um, gap in the market, if you like, for for a UK screenwriting advice specifically as like a teaching blog um so yeah i dived in with both feet and um and so like 10 15 years later here we go
0: (laughs) awesome (laughs) now what are some of the biggest mistakes you see uh in first-time filmmaker first-time screenwriters
1: Oh God. Um, I think probably the first thing would be that they don't, they have an idea or they see a trailer in their head or they see some like imagery in their head or maybe just a character or something like that. And they don't really know what the story is. They don't know what it's about. They don't know how plotting works. They're thinking probably really deeply thematically, but they're not necessarily thinking about the actual blow by blows of the plot. Um, And so they get themselves all tied up in knots as to to what the story is really about versus what's literally happening. And so they end up writing these crazy, crazy drafts where, you you know, you can read a whole like 100 page, uh, 120 page screenplay and you still have no clue what it what's happened <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's just like an explosion it's like a stream of consciousness all over and that's probably what everyone does i think at some point i know i did that literally everyone when they start out whether they're writing a screenplay or a short story or a novel or whatever um they can't really get their thoughts in order they know that there's bits and pieces that they want to want to say and maybe they've got a really interesting voice or a really interesting idea or an interesting character but they just can't make it all gel together um so i think that's probably the first kind of most obvious thing that happens. Uh, Another thing that happens is um, people's concepts and log lines just are really half-baked. You know, they either don't make sense or they're really derivative or they're just boring. And you kind of go, what what the hell is that? I don't know what that is. Um, And that usually happens after they've comes the realization that, oh, actually, I can't just write the stream of consciousness. I've got to try and kind of organize it. But then they might over organize it or or organize it in such a way that it's still not recognizable or has come out of the left field or is too samey to what's gone before. Um, other things that are really obvious is um, dialogue, there's far too much dialogue in the average spec screenplay Um, even if it's good they probably still don't need um, a third or even half of uh, as much as what they've got Mm -hmm. Um, so they forget that it's a visual medium, you know they fall in, a lot of writers fall in love with dialogue and some of them are really good at dialogue but they they forget the visuals Um, alternative maybe they go too far the other way and and it's really nice and visual but again it's not coherent you just you don't know what's really happening and so you actually need more dialogue but that doesn't happen very often it's nearly always too much dialogue I find which I think is really interesting um, other other things structure is a big issue um, right. people right. just don't know how structure works because they haven't done enough uh, research into what structure means to them um, lots of people say oh well you only need a beginning a middle and an end and not necessarily in that order which is what Bang to Right believes as well mm-hmm. but you also yeah. do need to know how other people
0: have structured things before you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to
1: use pictograms and worksheets and all that kind of stuff, but it does mean that if your movie is like Blade Runner or is like Alien or is like whatever you do need uh, to know how those stories were structured and why they were so interesting to you and why you want to do something in that kind of vein. Because if you don't know how they crafted their stuff then how are you going to know how to craft your own stuff so it doesn't really matter how you structure uh, you know it doesn't matter if you use save the cat it doesn't matter if you use three, three acts or the mini movie method or the 22 steps use whatever you like no one cares but it needs some sort of structure um, and very often things go wrong in structure like um, a very classic one would be starting too early so you end up with a really lumpy kind of first uh, act in particular you um, or it starts really well, but then it has a massive dip in the middle and um, or you end up running on the spot or something like that. Or resolutions, you know, the endings can be too rushed and it's like, oh, it's all over. What the hell just happened? That kind of thing. So those are the kind of classic structural issues. And then finally, I would say the kind of the, the next obvious one would be characterization. People don't know what Good characterization is, and what what is good characterization? Well I mean how long is a piece of string? Um, but the two things that you need for good characterization is a role function, what they're doing in the story. And then also their motivation, which is why they're doing things. You know, why, w- what do they want in the story? Very often writers will understand motivation, but they won't necessarily understand role function. Um, role function are things like uh, protagonists and antagonists. They usually get those okay. Um, protagonists usually these days. Antagonists can be a little bit more up in the air, but usually most of them can get those two main ones it's usually the secondary um, characters where things go wrong uh, the mentors the jobsworths, the love interests, you know, all, all those kind of secondary supporting kind of characters will go wrong they'll be boring or they will or they will have overthought them some, somehow, I mean very often people get really angry about love interests always being female for instance, um, but rather than actually changing the love interest to to a male and making it a gay love story for example which might make it a bit more fresh um, they will turn it into like i read a lot of rom-coms that have no romance in <laughs> it's like <laughs> why? why is there no romance in this rom-com which sounds insane and that's because it is because we need romance in a rom-com and if you don't like the fact that certain characters are love interests for instance for instance then don't write rom-com you know write something else but people try to reinvent the wheel a lot um, and things get out of control very quickly I mean, even an anti-rom-com has still got romance in, you know, it's just that the, you know, an anti-rom-com is like a sad rom-com, you know, it's funny, but it's tragic, because um, they don't end up together, you know, something like 500 Days of Summer, that was a great anti-rom-com, something like Crazy Stupid Love was an anti-rom-com, you know, it's all about the uh, relationships where things go wrong, and maybe you won't recover from them, but... You learn something, and so it's still hopeful, and it's still useful. In in it's not a tragedy, tragedy where everything is ruined. Um. So, but they don't know the difference between a, a rom com with no romance and an anti rom com. And it, and I think what I'm really talking to you about now mm-hmm. is the fact that writers don't do enough research. They don't do enough research into the craft, and they don't do enough research into their art. You know, if you want to write a rom com, you should be watching as many rom coms as possible. If you want to write a horror, you should be. Reading, um, uh, reading and watching as much horror as you can. You should be reading novels in that genre. You should be immersing yourself in your craft, and uh, also in the in the styles that you want to do it's it's it sounds obvious and that's because it is but unfortunately (laughs) a lot of writers don't really get that they say I haven't got enough time I haven't got enough time I haven't got enough time to write um so I want to write every night and it's like well you'd actually get your writing done a lot quicker if you immersed yourself in in the situation that's what pro writers do they immerse (laughs) themselves in the story and in that story world.
0: So so what you're telling me is that my idea f- to bring back dinosaurs and have them in a park is probably not going to fly nowadays.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you could give it a try. But <laughs> I, mean, I think someone might have got there before you. I mean, certainly, I mean, everybody, everybody loves dinosaurs. Uh, you know, literally I'm jo- everyone. I'm joking,
0: uh, I'm, joking, I'm joking. I'm joking.
1: I know. I know. If you actually could find some sort of twist on that dinosaur. Sure story, then by all means, you know, I mean, we're we're talking there about genre busting, you know, if you Mm -hmm. can bring us something that we've seen before, that's pre-sold, like dinosaurs, like vampires, like werewolves, like whatever. Zombies, um, sure. Zombies, yeah. If you can actually bring us something that we've never seen before and make somebody like me, a script reader or a script editor, go, God, why haven't I seen this before? Then they're going to pass it up the chain to their boss and say, you know, you'll never guess what. I've seen, you know, a new take on the vampire myth and they're like you're joking. It's like no, I really have. Here you go. Um and that's what gets everybody excited is this notion of genre busting and and bringing something that we've never seen before. I mean, we're talking about the same but different. Um and most writers do get that after a while, but they probably concentrate too much on the sameness mm-hmm. and not enough on the difference
0: now what do since you've read so many scripts what do script writers look for in a screenplay specifically like these the little the little giveaways i'm like oh this is this is i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna pass this and and take it up uh, take it up the ladder
1: uh-huh so a script reader what does yes. a script reader for yeah um <coughs> we're looking we're looking for um something that looks like a script in the first instance you know you wouldn't believe some of the some of the <laughs> yeah.
0: So the stuff, so stuff written in Word, not so much.
1: Oh no, thank you. Text edit,
0: text edit, no, (laughs) no,
1: no, no, thanks. So, so, something that looks like a script in the first instance is is always a plus. Um, We have this thing now. I mean, everybody knows about the first ten pages and how it's got to, you know. what it's, you know, set it set up the story and introduce the characters and, and make us understand what's where it's going in the first ten pages, even if that's a lie uh, but in real terms because there's so many submissions now you need to really start on page one with a bang, you really really need to grab someone massively on page one now, you need a great visual you know, you know if you've got dialogue on page one then it needs to be a really cool line you know, it can't be something really boring And the average um, first page of a screenplay is really dull. It's somebody literally walking into the frame and talking about something and doing, oh, this is a big introduction scene of some kind. And it's like, that's not interesting. You know, when we want to start with something really intriguing or shocking or devastating or interesting, something that makes me go. I mean, I read screenplays all day, for God's sakes. And yet I hardly ever sit up and go, ooh, on page one. Because I'm used to things being, you know, not necessarily grabbing me. Um, But that very first image, that opening image has got to really grab me. I mean, I read one yesterday that I was blown away by. It was awesome. It was the first thing, I, you know, the first thing I did after reading it was call up all my friends and say, you'll never guess what, I read a brilliant page one. And they'll be like, no way, because script readers don't read brilliant page ones very often. Um, so that's that's part of part of it. Um, another thing that we're looking for is um, confidence. You wouldn't believe how um, uh, kind of. <laughs> apologetic a lot of writers write you know you've got to really own the page Uh, I suppose that's what people mean when they talk about voice this notion of confidence and actually owning the page and actually saying you know this is my script you know we don't want all these vanilla screenplays that are really um, just really bland we want something that's going to grab us Um, again we're we're talking about this notion of of being really hooked so not just imagery but the way you write it as well you know a sense of confidence a sense of voice um, another thing that we we want as well is an intriguing character of some kind something that we haven't seen before um, because although sometimes uh, storylines can feel a bit like they're you know like we've seen them before um I'm so bored of seeing the same characters over and over again. And they will be the same characters in different genres and different styles. You know, people have got to think a bit more outside the box. And I'm pleased to say that we're actually seeing a lot more diversity now. Um, you know, there was a point where it was all male leads. they were all white all the time. Uh, and of course, there are some great, films and TV shows with, with white male leads, um, it would be absurd to say that there, there aren't. There are some really, really good ones. Um, but does it have to be that guy every time? Every time?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, what more can you bring to this character? There's a situation.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: By making it a woman, by making it a person with a disability, by making it somebody who's gay or straight or transgender um, uh, and and just, you know, just just mixing it up a bit Um, and and just a great sense of, of structure. It's so rare. To find a well-structured screenplay, it's so rare. Um, so every time that happens, and it make it makes it so easy to read. And and when something's an easy read, you read it fast and you pass it on fast. If you have to read it and it takes a long time, your your uh, interest is going to wane. You're gonna forget. You're gonna put it to one side. You're gonna forget to call your boss or your or your collaborator or whatever. Whereas if you read it and go, wow, amazing, you're gonna be picking up the phone. You're gonna be writing an email. You're gonna be be writing a tweet going oh my god i just read something amazing you know and 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 all that kind of stuff um and that creates buzz and that makes you far more likely as a writer to get into someone onto someone's radar
0: very good that's an excellent answer by the way (laughs) excellent answer Now, what are some tips on selling dramas in today's marketplace, which they are just so difficult, but I'd love to hear some ideas of yours.
1: Well, of course, I wrote a whole book on this, um, mm. called writing and selling drama screenplays. Uh, but basically the potted version of write, of saying, you know, how to sell a drama. Cause you're absolutely right. Drama is a dirty word in the current, uh, marketplace. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, producers out there selling their dramas as thrillers, <laughs> for example, <laughs> right. Right. um, when they're not really thrillers at all. Um, although some of them do a very good job. I mean, I, I, um, uh, saw a, uh, one of my case studies in the book is called hours, um, And it's by the writer of um, Arrival, Eric Heizura. And it was his directorial debut and um, was a fantastic drama. It was about fatherhood. It was about um, responsibility. It was was just beautiful. It was really, really good. And it was the um, last um, job that um, the late Paul Walker from Fast and the
0: Furious did. Yes, I remember that movie, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a great it was a great film. I loved it. Um but they did sell it as a thriller, the distributor. They had him on the on the front cover looking all rugged and stressed. Mm-hmm was going you know like it was, and they had him on the back, and he had, and he's carrying a gun and all that kind of stuff. it does look like a thriller, so some some distributors and some um uh producers as well will sell dramas as thrillers, um especially if it's got a very compelling kind of survival element in it, like ours because <laughs> it was set in the New orleans um sure. Yeah. So if you've got some sort of hook, like a survival situation, then maybe you could do that as a thriller. But that is a bit of a cheat, really. Um, but it can work. Um, having said that, um, uh, you can sell it as a thriller, you could also sell it as a comedy as well, because um, there was a, a movie about cancer called Stepmom, st- uh, starring Susan Sarandon and Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Beautiful story about an ex-wife who has to leave the care of her children with her with the new wife's husband um uh she's dying of cancer the ex-wife and she has to leave her young children with Julia Roberts the new wife and their father and it's all about the two women getting to know one another and actually getting over uh resentment and and um and the unfairness of the situation because of course she doesn't want to die and all this kind of stuff and it was it was Harper And beautiful, really, really well done. Uh, But they sold it as a comedy. And although there were bits that were funny, because it was very much from the tragic element of, you know, if you don't laugh, you cry, Mm. Uh, it wasn't a comedy, it was a drama. Uh, But the distributor sold it as a comedy. I remember the trailer, and and, and, I
0: do
1: too. Yeah, and I don't think they even mentioned cancer in the trailer. No, Um, they
0: do, of course not. Who's going to watch that movie? (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. So, uh, but it was a beautiful film. Oh, I saw wonderful. it on... Yeah, I saw it on television by accident and I was weeping buckets. It was so good, brilliant performances. So, uh, yeah, so thriller or comedy, you know, trying to give it that kind of sense um, can work, again, with this notion of issues as well, things like cancer, things like teenage pregnancy with Juno. You know, you can you can give that as a hook, you know, using issues as a hook to sell them can work. Um, that said, um, when it comes to drama generally – um, you're not going to sell a drama in the classic sense, like you would sell a genre piece, not in not in the in the current uh, marketplace. Um, so basically, what happens is you're not selling stuff in terms of in terms of um, actually, you know, getting a check and going in and you know saying Jaws in space and getting them to, to do a blank check to you and all that kind of stuff, like you know, like everybody wants. But basically, what you're doing is you're writing the best drama that you can think of, the best devastating one, best whimsical one, best um, survivalist one, whatever that is, and you're recruiting, and it's it's kind of like a recruitment drive. You're kind of getting people on board with you. You kind of essentially call yourself the writer-producer, if you like, or uh, and you're recruiting everybody onto your journey and making them uh, kind of get on board with you and, and help you make this film. I mean, um, I was reading about uh oh i've forgotten his name um the guy who um did who was the producer of dallas buyers club and, yes i forgot his um, name but
0: yes i know who you're talking about yes,
1: yes and it's it's just completely gone out of my head which is which is really annoying um and that's
0: a straight drama that is a straight drama
1: exactly exactly but of course it's about issues mm-hmm. and it's it's a it was a very kind of uh prescient, uh, prescient kind of uh, issue because of course it, it introduced to the mainstream the notion of um, transgender characters, uh, and um, uh, it was it was something that was um, quite dark, um, and also had some some moments of of uh, l- light and shade, um, and um, made a massive cultural impact in the same way that probably something like Philadelphia did mm-hmm. with Tom mm-hmm. Hanks about twenty years before, um, and interestingly, around the same time that. Philadelphia was made and was getting all its Oscars with Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks, um, Dallas Bice Club was doing the rounds. It was literally in development for about 22, 23 years. Um, originally, apparently Woody Harrelson was going to play Matthew McConaughey's part, which you can see, can't you? Mm -hmm. Um, and it just it just stayed in development hell for a long, 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 long time because nobody wanted to make that film. And anyway, the producer, um, uh, Cassian Yule's that's his name, Cassian yes. Yule, um, lost finance multiple times to to make Dallas Buyers Club uh, because basically it was his pet project. It was his passion project. He really, really wants to make this movie uh, because he thought it was important. And and he was absolutely right. Um, And eventually, when he lost it for the third time, he just got out his Rolodeck or his Filofax or however he does it and just called people up begging them for money. And he eventually found someone who said who he said, look, mate, I gave you your start in filmmaking. So now give me the money to make this film and the guy said no 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 i don't i don't think i don't want to make that film about about aids and stuff it's it's too much of a downer i don't want to do it i don't want to do it and he goes look it's really important we're going to win all the awards it's going to make a massive cultural impact so i guarantee it you know cassie newell's had that much belief and the guy said do you know what i'm going to give you the money uh, but when you go to, to the oscar ceremony you've got to take me with you right <laughs> and of course <laughs> the rest is history. They won all those Oscars, and uh, Castillo took took his mates to the Oscars with him. You know, and it's it's like wow. You know, you've got to have that kind of belief when you're making a drama. You have to understand that unless you're willing to get behind it a hundred percent like that then it's probably not worth writing a drama you probably want to be doing something else you know you probably want to write a horror or, or something that you can sell a lot easier because if you think that writing a drama and selling it just because it's lower budget than average is mm-hmm. going to to make it easier it's not it's, it's it's still like 30 million times harder to make a drama than a genre piece so that's always really worth thinking about whenever my writers come to me and say I really want to do a drama i say well how are you going to do this and if they look at me blankly i go oh dear (laughs) oh dear, because you don't know the half of it you know but it you know sometimes they'll come to me and say right i'm going to make this amazing drama because this subject matter is really important to me and i've got this strategy i'm going to go i'm going to get the money from from this um scheme i'm going to get the money from from these kind of product placements and and various investors and all that
0: kind of stuff We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: I'm going to take it to all the um, uh, various film festivals. I'm going to win loads of awards. I'm going to make sure it gets into the Oscars. I'm going to go all out to go, you know, to the nth degree with that. And And every time somebody comes to me with that, I go, fantastic. I will help you because they know what they're talking about
0: then yeah, yeah, dramas are uh, dramas are such a unique um, genre in in film because they're the one that kind of like you can easily tweak it to make it a comedy or you could tweak it to make it a thriller or at least have those elements in it for se- for selling points of view where you know sometimes there are those straight dramas like Dallas Buyers Club you know I don't even remember if there was any humor I think there had to have been a joke or two in there um, Yeah. But you can't sell that movie obviously as a comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other the other genre that gets really abused is thriller.
1: Now, mm.
0: what is the definition, in your opinion, of a thriller?
1: Well, thriller thrills. So, you know, that's that's kind of, you know, everybody knows that because it's in the name. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what does thrilling actually mean? And and I think there's two kind of key um, things that are in a thriller. Again, something I mean, both thriller and drama are two things that I feel really passionately about, uh, which I had to because I've written a written a book on each of these. Yes, things. You have. <laughs> terms, in terms of thrillers, in terms of the what I would call a definition of thrillers, is um, a thriller usually has some kind of element of mystery to it. There's usually they usually have to find out some sort of um, answer to a question of some kind, uh, who is behind it all, if you like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and then it could be a straight mystery as well. You know, the notion of the who done it as well, uh, but even if it doesn't have a mystery element because not every thriller has a mystery element um, because at the end of the day a thriller just has to thrill it can just be exciting that's the point so uh, I think what it, what is predominantly the point of thrillers is that it's about the chase of some kind whether they're looking for a, like a mysterious answer to a question or whether they're literally chasing someone it's about the chase literally or metaphorically
0: now is there is there cuz I know horror films a lot of times can either be tweaked to be thrillers as well because arguably, you know, I just watched it the other day and mm-hmm. it is it thrilled. It definitely thrilled, you know, but it also scared. So mm-hmm. how do you play around with that definition or are we really just getting into the weeds?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's a I think there's a considerable difference between thriller and horror. A lot of people kind of mix them up and mm-hmm. say that um, you know that they're the same. And certainly there is some mixing within the genre. You know, thrillers can be horrifying, and horrors can be thrilling. You know, um, whereas uh, but. If you take it right down to the foundation levels, a thriller is for the chase and a horror is for the scares. You know, horror is supposed to scare you. um, And so, you know, sometimes you find being scared thrilling and that's great. But is there a sense of mystery there? Is there a sense of chase there, probably not necessarily, I mean something like It for example is a classic Mm -hmm. horror because yes there are thrilling elements in it, I loved it when he jumped out of the uh, fridge and out of the the and all that kind of stuff, I loved all of that because it is thrilling to me because I enjoy being scared but ultimately It and Arguably, most of Stephen King's um, work in general is about vanquishing the beast. There is this bad thing, and you have got to stop it. That's the point of horror, mm. um, and so it's about being scared and it's about vanquishing the beast. And who who could be more beastly than Pennywise? He's oh, horrible.
0: Oh my god! What, what a beautiful what a beautiful, um, what a beautiful um, rendition of that novel. They did, they, yes, did such true. a beautiful job. All, it was really good. Yeah, I can't wait for the sequel. I can't wait for chapter two.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, cute. I can't. I mean, I I I, pre- I enjoyed the first um, uh, TV series version of it. Uh, oh, Tim yeah. Curry awesome um but a lot of the plotting was quite whack really awesome. and it, it was just it was it was just a bit lumpy and strange and and it really kind of it was very 90s and a lot of really weird stuff going on and it, in was, and,
0: and it was also a tv movie so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a, an actual you know full-blown feature film so might have not taken as much time The you know cal- mm-hmm. caliber of the writers might have been different uh, mm-hmm. It could have been a whole whole sorts of reasonings, but yes I, I i did not see the the Tim Curry version, or if i did i didn't remember it uh mm. as well I do remember him mm. <laughs> but this yeah, he was right, but this he was version, right. but this version he was just eerie and scary, and it was just it was beautifully done beautiful, and yeah. I love that that was in the eighties that yes because now we tap into. The wonderful, the wonderful thing that's just running rampant right now over Hollywood and over movies in general is nostalgia. Can you so talk much. a little bit about nostalgia and what is it right now? Because we've had nostalgia for a while. I mean, you can you can go back to uh, examples like American Graffiti, that was nostalgic mm-hmm. for the fifties, and it's always a couple decades back. I, I, I notice mm-hmm. it's like two or three mm-hmm. decades away. And then we can go back and be nostalgic about it, but mm-hmm. the '80s has something very special about it. There is something unique about that that, that '80s and now '90s too, both. Um, mm. Which
1: I don't, I don't think it's unique. I think it's just the fact that we're old now. You know. I mean- <laughs> People, people who are 35 plus are looking back on times of the 80s and the 90s with such fondness because everything seemed simpler then. Uh, you so know, there was no social media, there was no people in your face. With you know, you could go away for the weekend, nobody could hassle you. You know, now you've got bloody mobiles all the time. We weren't you know, it at people, war.
0: We weren't at war. The know, economy was good for the most part.
1: Mm, not necessarily. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. And certainly in the UK in the eighties, there's the miners' strikes. There was uh, a massive recession. You know, there were for, terrible. But for, uh, but for us, in the in the,
0: the, but for us in the US, I mean, yeah, we had the yeah. Cold War, but the Cold War ended. The nineties, mm, eighties, yeah. late eighties and nineties were pretty much uh, an economic boom for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was there were you know, and we weren't at a war until the nineties with the Desert Storm, but it wasn't like an ongoing war. Mm-hmm. Constantly uh, and it's yeah. it's just a much more complex time now without question. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm not sure it is actually I think I think there's always been crazier uh, you know j- crazy things going on in the world I think we just hear about them um, more That's now you point. know we had all, all kinds of stuff going on in the 90s that we never heard about at the time you know the Taliban taking you know the stronghold and and stopping all the women going to work and mm-hmm. you know the, the Chechnyan, uh rebels and um, the destruction of the USSR and mm-hmm. Yugoslavia mm-hmm. was gone and I guess there's it, 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 it,
0: too I think we were ignorant back then and it's it's just we didn't get the information as much it's just now we're overloaded with it
1: yeah i think so i mean you know the the genocides that were happening in places like rwanda for example yeah. They're just every bit as bad as those things that ISIS are doing, and yet apparently yeah. this is this is these are the worst times that we've ever lived in. And actually, I think we've always lived in terrible times, and I think we've always lived in wonderful times. I think it depends where you are, um, and and I think we're looking back with nostalgia for the 80s and 90s because we're looking through rose-tinted spectacles. Now, I loved my, you know, being a child. I loved being a teenager and mm-hmm. all those kind of things. But I, I'm not, I'm not denying the fact that I had problems and the world had problems at the time. And I think, I think that's something that a lot of people forget. Um, and the Victorians believed that nostalgia was actually a disease, you would actually become sick, you would actually become sick for the past. Um, and I think that's what a lot of us do now. And of course, it's easier than ever to be sick for the past, because of course, you can look on um, the internet and see all these great things that you used to have or used to believe you had. Mm-hmm. And um, and now you think that now the present is, is rubbish. And I think that's a real Shame in lots of ways because you know you've you've only got now. There is no only now. There is only um,
0: now. You don't have tomorrow. You don't have the past. It's all you exactly, have is now. You know.
1: No, none of us know how much time we have. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of us waste it by worrying about things that have already gone, uh, worrying about things that might not happen and saying that everything about now is terrible. Um, and, you know, everybody worries. Everybody gets um, annoyed about stuff. You know, they've got a crap boss or their teams let them down or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. But at the end of the day, you have to kind of try and keep gratitude in your heart for the fact that
0: you're not dead that's a very that's a very good point (laughs) at the end of the day like you know what you should be grateful that you're not dead i mean you're here might as well enjoy (laughs) it while you're here and enjoy the present moment and that's the only thing you really have control over and i think that's a great way uh to write a character (laughs) you know because also characters a lot of times have the same neurosis that we have as human beings Um, which was going to ask you psychology I've had I've suffered from depression of course so so, you know it can be easier said than done Mm. no without question it can be
1: easier said than done yeah it's it's something you know a lot of people get really annoyed and say oh you know when you say that you're you're um,
0: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show
1: Uh, sticking the boot into people who have mental health issues and it's like no I've got every sympathy for people with mental health issues you know life is hard and sometimes you know the chemicals in your brain really screw with you I know that uh, just as much as anyone Um, but you know we have to reframe things the bad things and we have to kind of hope for the best because what else is there there is literally nothing else
0: (laughs) (laughs) pretty much pretty much Now, you also wrote another book about writing diverse characters. Can you give any advice, any small tips on how to write a diverse character and what is your definition of a diverse character?
1: Well, I mean, a diverse character, you know, the the notion of the word diversity, it just means variety. Okay. Um, you know, for a lot of people, as soon as you say diversity, they think that you mean race mm. or they think that you mean uh, LGBT mm. or um, female leads as well. Um, mm. well. We'll come under that because, of course, female leads are so much less prevalent than, than male leads. So those are the three that people immediately think of. And then I would also say, well, disabled characters. Mm-hmm. Are as well, um, it's it's actually shocking how little diversity there is in in um, uh, showing the the disabled experience on screen. It's really really surprising if you actually break it down how many disabled characters you see. Um, you know, nearly always wheelchair users, nearly always male, nearly always white. They nearly always want to kill themselves. It,
0: it's it's right. it's it's, like, it's pretty go, sad. It's actually pretty sad.
1: It is really sad. I it mean, is, it, the,
0: the my left foots of the world are rare.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 unfortunate because you know, one in five people in the UK and the US have a disability of some kind, and there's many, many in what they call invisible disabilities as well that people can't you know, necessarily understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they don't, they physically can't see them, um, but they create, you know, massive challenges in people's lives. We also uh, tend to see disabled people only in drama, because drama is about struggle, and we init- we, uh, you know, able-bodied people immediately think, oh well, if you're disabled, then your life is bad, which of course is nonsense, is absolute bilge, um, and so it's really great to see more and more disabled characters in uh, genre pieces. So, uh, for example, Fury. Rosa would be the obvious choice there.
0: She was great. She
1: was was so good. And hmm. she, she, you know, she didn't just have a disability. She had essentially an upgrade because, (laughs) uh, because had she not, had the robot arm then Max would have fallen from the rig and gone under the wheels of the of the truck um, right. and of course she saves him and she would never have been able to to grab him like that with a, her normal arm she could only grab him with her her robot arm um, and we've seen robot arms a lot in Hollywood which I always find really intriguing you know Bucky from Marvel has got a robot arm mm-hmm. he's now got a vibranium arm mm-hmm. over, you know <laughs> what Wakanda gave to him um, there's um, uh, Detective Spooner, played by Will Smith in the iRobot in 2005. He had mm-hmm. a robot arm as well. And we've seen other robot arms in, in general. And, of course, the Mad Max universe has always placed disability at its heart, mm-hmm. uh, right from the very first movie across the franchise. And so I would like to see more characters you know, in disabled story worlds uh, where people, you know, have issues um, to do with their disability, but maybe but not necessarily the whole their whole story. I would love to see that. I would love to see more working class characters, especially from UK writers. You know, we have a lot. We have a bit of a hang up on lords and ladies and all that kind of stuff over here. Um, really? Like-
0: is there is there I heard there's a wedding going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: What's that? I've no idea. No, seriously. <laughs> I was on a train on last week, and um, one of the thing came over the Tannoy saying, "Oh, that the, there's going to be major disruption on the line next week, next weekend." And I thought, "What the hell's happening next weekend?" Hey. Uh, and I had to Google to find out it was the Royal Wedding. I was like, "That's how disinterested the average British person is in the in the in the Royal Wedding." Oh no, but uh, we're obsessed,
0: They're obsessed about it here. I mean, obsessed. It's
1: insane. yeah. My sister lives in Australia, and they're obsessed with it over there as well. And and, you know, all my Australian friends and American friends keep saying, oh, you're ready for the for the royal wedding. It's like, how can I be ready for the royal wedding? I'm not going. Everybody, you know, people assume that everybody in Britain is going to this wedding. It's so funny. <laughs> but, I,
0: guess, I, I guess it's the because we don't have, you know, kings and queens here. Uh, so hmm. I guess I guess that's the thing. I guess it's like, I don't know. I don't know why why Americans are so uh, enthralled with it. For so much. I'm not. I just every time I turn the television on, I see these guys. I'm like, I know way too much. I I know way too much about the wedding already. And I'm not even following it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I've managed, I've managed to mute and unfollow pretty much everyone who likes the wedding now. So I've, I've managed to be in blissful ignorance. So that's great.
0: <laughs> now, so again, one, one last question I want to ask you, how do you construct a proper pitch? Because I know that's such a difficult thing for, for writers and for filmmakers in general to pitch their ideas. In your, in your opinion, how do you construct a proper pitch?
1: Well, I, I would say the first thing you need is to think about your logline and, and how you actually communicate your story in the logline. I often talk on Bang to Right about what I call the three C's of a good logline. So we're talking about clarity, which is obvious. It's got to be clear. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't believe how many loglines just aren't clear. And so you don't really know what's happening. Um, and so a really good thing to do is is to check for clarity always and, and post them in, in uh, places like, well, the bang to Rights, um Facebook group will have um, a, uh, uh, you know, you can write it on the wall and all the bang to writers will chime in and, and give their feedback on the, um, on the log lines. And that really works, especially on clarity issues, because then you've got like very often 10 or even 15 people will chime in with their feedback. And if they're not getting it, then you know that you've got a problem. There's another great website called Logline It. Uh, so it's logline dot it. Um, you can actually put your log lines up there and ask for feedback. Another one that you can do is, um, Reddit has a great, um, group called, um, just called screenwriting Mm -hmm. Um, and you can put your log line up there. You do have to be fairly, um, uh, strong stomachs to. Oh Yes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Anytime so, you go on to Reddit, you have to have a strong stomach.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do. So if if you get upset easily, don't go on Reddit is my, it's oh my, um, my advice.
0: Aren't, aren't but, they yeah, just fact- brutal? Like they're the worst, the oh, most so brutal. brutal. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Brutal. I mean, there was this guy on Reddit the other week. I mean, he was going on and on and on at me. I had to mute him in the end. He was going on about how I didn't hadn't done anything in my career and how I was really sad and blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoa, what on, you, why are you unleashing so much vitriol on me? I mean, for God's sake. But, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's his back. problem. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. The problem. It's a very sad place, no doubt. But um, yeah, so Reddit can be brutal, uh, but um, in the Bang to Writers Facebook group, we're always very—you know—the whole point of it is moral support mm. uh, and and peer review. So you know, by all means, put your log lines there. So clarity would be the first C of the three C's. Uh, character is another one. Um, so, you know, who, who is in this? What, what, you know, what's, what is their motivation? What is, what is the point of them being in, in this thing? Um, and very often we have the same kind of characters, even in log lines. Uh, one thing I've noticed over the years is what I call the negative adjective female. And that's always, you know, the guilt stricken, uh, young woman or the, um, bereaved mother or the, (laughs) Right. Or whatever, you know, something really negative, and then she has to overcome something, you know, even in a genre piece, and it's like, oh, my God, why can't we just have a kick-ass female spy for once? Why do they all have to be guilt-ridden? Why do they all have to be traumatized? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, my God! You know, so, so again, that can flag up some really interesting things. Um, and then the last one would be conflicts, you know, what is the situation that this character finds themselves in? So we're talking uh, clarity, character, conflict. That's the three C's and the keys of a good log line uh, from there, I would say, uh, in terms of pitching, especially if you're pitching in real life like at a pitch fest or, mm-hmm. or on a, um, you know one of those um, you know skype meetings that you can book with with various producers and stuff now, um, the first thing I would say is uh, introduce yourself, you know who you are, whether you have any credits um, and actually say what you're going to be pitching, whether you're gonna be pitching a feature or a short film right. or
0: a TV. Just don't just, because- just, don't just jump into it. <laughs>
1: No, no don't, no, don't just read out your, your log lines. I've had a lot of very bad pitches over the years where they basically just kind of sit down and go and blah and just bark a log line at you. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> what's
0: going on? We're human beings. Uh, remember that. <laughs>
1: exactly. You know, and, and it's really, really good if you can make some sort of connection. All the best pitches I've ever heard. Someone sat down and said something
0: like. Um, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: Oh hi! I, you know, I've read your blog. I really liked your article about blah. Um, uh, you know, I, I know you like uh, female leads. I know you like thrillers. So I'm going to be pitching a, a, fe- um, a thriller feature for you today. And I'm immediately thinking, oh, this person's done their homework. They know what they're talking about. They know me. They know of me. Um, and and it just gives you a good kind of connection at the beginning of the pitch. You don't have to say you like things if you don't. Um, but if you have happened to have watched something that someone's made or read their articles or or something, you know, and you have some sort of like prior knowledge or you've met them before maybe, you know, I've had I had a good pitch only the other week when a, a lady came in and said, oh, hi, we met at um, Women in Film and TV, which is a union uh, for women who work in film and television here in the UK. And said, Oh we met there um, before um and and we had a little chat quickly about that first and then she told me a log line and and you know we had that kind of sense of connection and rapport and of course I remembered her afterwards um and that's always helps. um so yeah introduce yourself say what you're pitching Say your log line, try and deliver it conversationally if you can. Don't just read it out and then be available for questions about it. Um, And before you go to the pitch, try and think of the questions that they might ask. I mean, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to cover all of them. um, But to actually have an idea of what they might say will give you confidence and confidence is what always powers a good pitch.
0: Very cool. Now, can you tell me a little bit about Bang to Right and the good work you're doing over there?
1: uh bang to write is a well it started off as a screenwriting blog only and then over the years it started to kind of change and i started to talk um, about characterization generally um i started moving more into script editing as well as script reading so um i started to uh, i got commissioned to write those two books on writing which in turn got me more jobs on working on dramas and thrillers in particular so i started to kind of really talk about genre really talk about drama Uh, especially because I found myself talking about thriller and horror a lot. So I talk um, a lot on the blog about drama, a lot about thriller, a lot about horror. Started talking more and more about um, diverse characters as well, uh, which that led into the into the third book. Um, but also one thing that I noticed uh, over the years was that people, you know, writers really wanted to connect with me. And so I created the Facebook group, which is really lively and really connected and mm-hmm. really engaged now. And so I'm kind of bringing that back and forth between the main sites and the social media kind of um, pages and also the main uh, bank to write group. So whatever they're talking about in the group, I will make sure that I write about on the main site because I know that it will, you know, power the site and power the chat in the um, thing and, and increase the sense of community and just make it more cohesive. And one thing that I noticed that the bank to writers really liked was things like quotes and success quotes and inspirational quotes so I, I put a lot of quotes on the on the blog and what we can learn from them as writers I did one recently about Rocky and how he's the patron say of writers because I really think that <laughs> I think Rocky is great because um, he's so motivational and he's so spiritual and, and he's so you've got to go out there and do it uh, which is something that I truly believe as well um, and also in terms of um, other things they like, they like uh, productivity articles. So, you know, how to get writing done. You know, there's a lot of uh, writers out there who have, you know, very diminished windows in which to write. I know I do. I mean, I'm a professional writer as well. I write novels and um, blog copy and, and you know, I'm just writing stuff all the time, constantly. Um, uh, but... I still have less time than I want to write my own speculative work as well. You know, I've got, I've just been planning a, a project recently that, you know, I haven't even shown to my agent yet. It's just a story that I have. I feel a burning desire to, to tell. Um, but I know that I've got a million other things to do, um, first. So I'm going to have to do it on, you know, keep it on the back burner and keep writing, you know, a thousand words here, a thousand words there, just like the bank writers who may still have day jobs in completely unrelated things. Mm-hmm. Um, So I write a lot about productivity. I write a lot about self-belief and motivation as well, Um, especially when the bang to writers have have been through, um, you know, really bad rejections Um, because one of the great things about bang to writers on Facebook is that when somebody is rejected, they might post in there and say, oh, I'll be rejected. And everyone's like, oh, chin up. It'll be all right. You know, keep going, all that kind of stuff. Because only other writers really know what it's like to be rejected. You know, I can say, I mean, I got Mm -hmm. rejected yesterday and my husband came home and I said I told him I'd been rejected and he was like oh no and he went out and got me a bottle of wine which is very nice of him mm-hmm. but I know he doesn't he's not a writer he doesn't know what it's really like to be rejected so the first thing I did was get on the phone to some of my writer friends and say oh, I'll be rejected immediately they're like ah oh, nightmare you know and I'll do the same for them as well and we do the same in the Facebook group as well um and um so yeah we we talk about uh, um a mat, you know loads of different things we talk about novel writing more and more as well um because of course I'm, I'm getting really into that I love writing my novels um and it's just because it's nice to have a change well because I spend so long write, reading screenplays and sure. so long, you know, writing stuff. I, it's sometimes nice just to write in a completely different medium. Although I actually think of screenplays and, and novels as being the same, I certainly outline them in the same way, you know, with the three acts and character mm-hmm. motivations mm-hmm. and role functions and all that kind of stuff. I do them exactly the same way. It's just um, novels are three times longer and mm-hmm. a bit mm-hmm. more psychological yeah. as well.
0: Now but, you're, um, and you also write uh, nonfiction books as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I, I I will write. Yeah, I, I mean, I even write those really with three acts, to be
0: honest. <laughs> and, you, and what are the those three books that you that I know off the top of my head? Is the one the the writing drama that's through. right
1: writing and selling drama screenplays writing and selling thriller screenplays and then it's writing diverse characters for fiction tv and film so that third one actually incorporates um novels as well because of course we're talking predominantly about characters mm-hmm. and of course character whether you've got a character in a screenplay or a character in a novel it, you know they're the same thing they're just uh, maybe um uh, presented differently but other than that they they have the same kind of uh genetic makeup Very cool.
0: Cool. Now I'm going to ask you uh, uh, a few questions I ask all of my guests. It's going to be kind of a speed round. Uh, What advice would you give a screenwriter wanting to break into the business today?
1: um i would say get a website and uh do online networking as much as possible learn about what it is to do good online networking via social media and via your blog and actually how to bring people to you so in other words create a platform i think that's really really important looking back i did that kind of instinctively um uh, and and it's really led me ha- helped me in good stead
0: very cool. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career?
1: Oh blimey, there's been so many. I mean, I read I read about a hundred books a year, so it's it's difficult to say. Really, uh, is it fiction or nonfiction?
0: Doesn't either one. And it and uh, just something that comes to your head.
1: I think for me, weirdly, the one that kind of really sticks out for me uh, when and I probably. Um, uh, and I probably recommend the most to people would probably be Weave World by Clive Barker, uh-huh. because uh-huh. it made such a massive impression on me as a, like a 13 year old schoolgirl. I mean, it was it was filthy in so many ways. And uh, but it was <laughs> Clive Barker. Yeah, exactly. Highly imaginative and so visual. It was so massively visual. And I went on to read all his other ones like Image Occur and and The Midnight Meat Train and all his comic books and all his freaky, weird stuff, Mm -hmm. Cabal and and all that kind of stuff. And it it made a massive, massive impression on me, even though I don't write fantasy, just the visuals of it. They never left me. And I can even when I think of those words, I can see them in my head. Um, So, yeah, I wanted I wanted to be like him. And, um, and really, you know, and hopefully one day I will be as good as him.
0: (laughs) Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life?
1: Um. Don't take things personally. I think, um, especially of, when you're on Reddit. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're on Reddit. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people kind of get under my skin. Um. But nine times out of ten, now they just bounce off me. It just doesn't bother me, especially online. Um. And and certainly because I've started to notice when you have a massive online platform, you start to notice the the trolls and the and the negative people say exactly the same things, exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the more you're exposed to it, the more you be Become immune to it. It's kind of like a a mad online kind of vaccination, if you like. So it's it's quite rare that that things really bother me online. Unfortunately, in real life, uh, when things happen, um, I they really still can get me down. Even now, having said that, I recover a lot quicker than I used to. It used to be that you know something happened with my family, or something happened in my marriage, or something like that would take me. You know, I wasn't resilient. It took me ages to kind of recover from it emotionally. But now, because I've been doing lots of work on myself about
0: that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
1: Um, I think I think I'm much better than I used to be, definitely. So, yeah, don't take things too personally, especially not in the industry, because people say things when they just work on the basis that they don't mean it. And um, and if they do mean it, just tell them to go, you know, F themselves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. And uh, three of your favorite films of all time?
1: Uh, first one has to be Alien. Left a huge, yes. huge, indelible mark. Um, I watched it when I was about 11. Th- that um, would do and- it.
0: That'll do it. Yeah, do it.
1: and and I was really shocked, and and it just totally overwhelmed me, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I rewrote Alien in my in my various notebooks for about five years afterwards, um, just writing the same thing about a girl going into space and getting attacked by monsters. Um, and some of them were all right actually. I've got a couple of my notebooks and think, oh, maybe I should do something with some of those someday. <laughs> so yeah, if you ever see if you ever see uh, a space story from me about a girl being attacked by monsters as you know why um another one that really kind of uh, made a massive impact on me would be blue valentine the drama starring right great, Ryan movie. great movie. so good another cassian newells one actually that mm-hmm. he produced um and it was so good it was so true you know about you know the nature of divorce and and love and the, you know the the relationship between men it was, and women How, it, was it, was just so it was brutal it was brutal it was It was so brutal and so true and so beautiful and tragic and just awful. And, oh, God, it was just it was so good. I really, really loved it. So, yeah, Blue Valentine would be another one. And I think the other one would be Toy Story because I had, I was about 14 when that movie came out and I remember, you know, I'd never really seen 3d, 3d animation before that. I mean, I know it was around, but I don't remember ever seeing it. Uh, certainly never seen a movie with mm-hmm. it. And I remember going to the cinema and, and I remember being dragged to see it because I was like, Oh, I don't want to go and see a kid's movie. I'm a grown up. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I was like, wow, I could not believe, I could not believe my eyes. I mean, actually, when you look at the first t- Toy Story now, it looks quite dated in comparison yes. to Story 3. But at that time, that was the best they could do. And it was, it, I was amazed by it. And I was also, also amazed by the fact that it was a family movie rather than just for kids. And I just loved all the, you know, like, hey, I'm Picasso and his hey, face is on sideways, you know, the potato head and stuff like that. <laughs> And I was just, and I remember getting, I remember getting it and laughing, and I was the only one that laughed in the cinema. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: embarrassed.
1: Um, but it was because uh, it was because I live in Devon in the UK, which is tiny, and um, there was only about twenty people in the cinema. <laughs> and uh, but I remember thinking, why don't the grown ups get it? And that's when I started to think, ooh you know, there's such a thing as a literary illusion and, and there's such a thing as subtext and there's such a thing as, as these things that are put in, you know, these in jokes for grown ups and, and for cultured people in things that are comedy and stuff like that. I started to notice different different things and how you could be fourteen and get a cultural reference like that, but a grown up sitting next to me didn't get it. I was like, oh that's interesting. Different responses to different um, to different things. Not everybody's the same. Um, and so, you know, all of these movies really kind of you know set off things in my in my head as it were um I mean because of Blue Valentine that's when I wanted to um write the drama screenplays book so when my publisher said to me you know do you want to write another writing book the first thing I thought of was Blue Valentine I thought I want to write something about that somehow right. <laughs> I want to I want to kind of do you know look into what drama is and what the minutiae of of that thing is because drama can be anything, it can literally be anything. Yeah. So how do you put it down? You know, at least with thriller, you know, that thriller thrills and it's got to be thrilling in some way. Um, and it's got to be about chase. It's got to be about mystery or, or in it. So that chase is figurative or, or sure. literal. Um, but you know, what is drama? What is it? And what is it that makes me interested in it when something is so devastating as, um, say, Blue Valentine versus something like Little Miss Sunshine, which is not devastating at all, but it still has pathos in it. So what? what is the difference? And so, yeah, that, that set that off and, and made me think, yeah, what is what is this thing about emotional truth in drama?
0: Now, where can uh, people find you and in, in your work?
1: Well you can find me all over the uh, all over the internet I'm like germs I get everywhere so uh, <laughs> if you google my name Lucy V Hay H A Y you'll find me uh, if you google Lucy Hay you'll find the countess of Carlisle in Scotland
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't win against her, unfortunately, because she's a historical figure from the 16th century. Sure. Um, so if you Google Lucy V Hay, you'll find me. If you Google Bang to Write, you'll find me. B A N G number two W R I T E. That's one word. Um, and I'm bangtowrite.com. I'm com as well. Um, and I'm basically on all of the platforms. I'm on Reddit. I'm on Facebook. I'm on um, uh, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram. You know awesome. you. you Tripping, you're tripping over me. I'm, I'm literally everywhere.
0: Well, I'll make sure to put those links and also links to your books in the show notes. Uh, Lucy, hey. it's been wonderful talking to you for this last hour. Thank you so much for dropping some nice knowledge bombs on uh, on the tribe. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're welcome.
0: Thank you, Lucy, for dropping some knowledge bombs on the tribe today. If you want to get more information about Lucy and her work at bank to write Just head over to the show notes at indiefilmhustle.com forward slash 695. And if you haven't already, please head over to FilmmakingPodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there